Hi friends, welcome back to the Making Room on the Pew podcast, a podcast for the misfits and outcasts. You are listening to episode 27. Welcome friends. My name is Bailey Joe Welch Pomerantz, your host here on the Making Room on the Pew podcast. So today on the show, I am so excited to have Chelsea Anderson. Chelsea and I became friends over the past year um, because when I started talking about stopping drinking. Um, Chelsea was one of those people who I found on Twitter who kind of came alongside me, shared with me her experience, and that was really nice to have a friend there guiding the way for me. I hope that Chelsea is the same for you, no matter where you are in your journey of any kind. So Chelsea is a writer, a speaker, a podcaster with a passion for mental health awareness, addiction recovery, and helping people live their best, most authentic lives. Guys, she is so amazing. She tells her story which with such grace and uh, compassion for everyone involved. Um, I think you are really, really going to love her. She is part of the LGBTQ community. She um, is in recovery. And guys, she's a former U.S. Army soldier. She has done so much and she shares with us Um, what she learned from that journey today. So I hope you like her just as much as I do. Without further ado, here is my conversation with Chelsea. Thank you so much. I'm so glad to be here. Yeah. Okay. So um, I was thinking about when we first connected and I think you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that it is It goes back to when maybe I started talking about I was getting sober and there was like a couple of people who kept popping up and you were one of those people who kept like, you were so encouraging and just like, you've got this. Other people have done this. It feels impossible. It's okay. You can do it. Um, And I'm just so thankful for that. That makes me kind of emotional to hear. I do think you were correct that we first connected um on Twitter and you were in the beginning of your sobriety I think and uh I don't remember the exact conversations we had but I I think you're right and that's how we connected and it's so cool to see you at what was it like a year later now yeah I just um it was a year in January yeah yeah that is so cool so cool Yeah. So, okay. For those who maybe haven't connected with you yet, would you like to tell us a little bit about who you are? Like, I know you're a writer, podcaster, mental health advocate. I want to give to you a little bit of space to just kind of like tell everybody who you are, what you do. Right. Well, um, all of the above, what you just stated. Um, I write, speak um, a lot on LGBTQ, mental health, and spirituality. Um, Those are my three main focuses right now, and um, obviously sobriety, recovery. But um, I, you and I have a lot in common, you know, grew up in the church with very traditional views on sexuality, 
things like that. And uh, I came out, I realized I was different in like eighth, ninth grade, but I didn't have the language for it at the time. And I, I guess you could say, I didn't believe that queer people existed as such. So I didn't recognize my own identity for what it was, sadly. Um, I did end up uh, coming out in my mid twenties. And uh, since then, the more I've learned, the more I've studied and researched, I've become uh, solidified in my own faith, my own identity. And um, I've just developed a passion for helping other people do the same. Um, yeah. Yeah. So what was coming out like for you? It was kind of a wild experience. And I don't know, I always say that I don't know if I would have come out if I didn't believe that I had to in order to survive. Um, and what I mean by that is uh, I'm somebody who's in recovery from alcoholism and addiction, uh, which started when I was like 17, 18 and went through my mid, mid 20s, got so bad that I couldn't imagine life with alcohol or without it, with drugs or without them. And um, I was introduced to a 12-step program and started attempting to get sober. And for any anybody uh, who may or may not be familiar with that, one of those steps requires being completely honest with God, with ourselves, another and another human being. Um, and so the one thing that I was not ready to be honest about was the fact that um, that I identify as bisexual. That's kind of the word I use interchangeably with queer. But for a long time, I was too worried about what other people would think of me. Um, and I didn't believe that God would approve of me. So I just kept it to myself. And I've found out that um, living a secretive and dishonest life was not compatible with sobriety, at least for me. Um, I got into the point of being suicidal, miserable, couldn't stop drinking and using. So I, one of the first people that I came out to uh, was one of my mentors in recovery. And I remember specifically the day that I came out to him, I remember the uh, place where we were sitting, the specific park near my house on the particular park bench. And I said, you know, here's the truth about me. I'm bisexual, but I'll just tell you right now, I will never ever be okay with it. And I don't mm -hmm. want to talk about it anymore. In other words, I have like a fixed belief that, you know, yes, I have to tell somebody this in order to survive literally, but I don't, I don't want to embrace it or give into it, quote unquote, sometimes here. Um, so that was my initial coming out experience. A couple years later, I didn't come to the rest of my family until about four and a half years of sobriety. I just had a lot of work to do um, first between me and God. And I, I was able to surround myself with other people in the LGBTQ community. Um, I was able to get mentorship from other uh, LGBTQ 
Christians who had gone on before me, um, we're still, I'm so close with to this day. And so I was able to have more solid friendships, a solid foundation, um, in my connection with God. So, and then I decided, you know, I want to be real with the West, the, I'm sorry, rest of my family and, uh, people I've known my whole life. So I eventually came out to the rest of my family. It's been kind of a mixed bag of responses. Uh, my mom, who's on the more uh, traditional conservative side, said, well, I don't necessarily understand. I hold the more uh, traditional scriptural view, I guess you could say, but I will always love you, which I really appreciated. You know, I appreciated the fact that she sat and listened without um, debating with me arguing with me, anything like that. Um, it's still kind of a hard thing for us to talk about. Um, and then I have my sister who's very, uh, kind of a cool thing that happened when my grandparents found out. Uh, my grandpa basically looked and said, you know, we're going to tell this to our whole family. And if anybody has a problem with you, they have a problem with me and they can just stay away. I'm like, wow, I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> so <laughs> that, isn't been that so cool. It's my been an interesting mix. Yeah. My grandpa said the same thing. It's so funny that it's like these random, like not random, but it's just like, sometimes you don't expect things like that, particularly, particularly yes. from I think maybe older generations, we tend to think of older generations as more traditional. And then, and then we are surprised, like, like both of our stories. I mean, that I just think that's so cool. Oh, yeah. Um, my grandpa, he's always been more progressive, things like that. So I wasn't really surprised, like, I wasn't surprised that he was non-judgmental, just surprised that he was that overly almost protected me, which I really appreciated. And what's also really precious about that to me is prior to me getting sober, he and I didn't, didn't have that great of a relationship. And not only like, has that completely turned around since I've gotten sober, but um, it's turned into a relationship that I never could have imagined. Yeah. I love that. Um, okay. So you came out what year? Do you remember? Let's see. I, it was the summer of 2015 and I know that is a, okay. That's when I got sober. Like they're very interconnected. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So 2015. And before that, I'm trying to like segue us in because I know part of your story. I want you to tell our listeners part of our, maybe the earlier part of the story of um, 
your alcohol, drug use, um, how that kind of snowballed into needing to get sober. Oh yeah. So, um, I guess it started right before I graduated high school. Uh, my yeah. cousin and I started hanging out with this, with these older guys and I was offered a drink and it took them a while to talk me into drinking it. Um, my father, uh, is also in recovery now, but early in my life, um, he had major drinking issues too. Uh, so I always swore, like, I'm never going to be that way. Yeah. Because I saw like the destruction that it brought, that it can bring into a family. So I was pretty well behaved, I guess you could say up until uh, about the end of high school. And I remember after like the first one or two drinks, feeling like a shift in my confidence, my personality. I liked who I was kind of for the first time. I felt like I could talk to the guys. I could engage with other people and I could breathe in my own skin. And I, I felt like a normal human, you know? So, and that continued on. Um, I did join the military whenever I was, as soon as I graduated high school and uh, after basic training, uh, I went to my uh, AIT or my job training and the first weekend pass that we got, I ended up at a bowling alley on post with a few older friends and the same thing happened. I was offered a drink, you know, I took it. And from then on, it was never, ever, ever just one. Yeah. Like ever. I chased the same effect that I got those, those very early drinking experiences until the time that I got so the problem was like, I like to describe the progression of my drinking using as it started out as nothing but fun. It gave me like everything I thought that I wanted in terms of how I thought and felt. Then it became fun mixed with problems. I, I mean, I'm not ashamed to say I sailed out of college because of my drinking. So I lost the opportunity to pursue the career I thought I wanted. I lost family relationships. I just became a very isolated, selfish, self-centered individual. And and that's the way I lived for a long time. And then it became nothing but problems. And it became to the point where I, I realized well, first it started off with me trying to moderate or control it. So I would say, I'm only going to have two tonight. Don't and then all. I would go, go out with every intention to just have two. And uh, like something happens in the body and mind of an alcoholic like me that says, um, you know, because my body is wired, I will never be able to control the amount that I drink and because and, and I also have a mind that basically I can't trust to keep me away from it no matter how bad I need to stop or want to at a certain point and that's where I was and you know I was in 
and out at different recovery fellowships for a while. Uh, for a while, I was able to just get by on my fellowship and friends alone. And, uh, but that didn't last though. And finally, someone told me um, what my, what alcoholism and addiction actually looks like, that it's not some kind of a moral failure or a sin or anything like that. But it is, you know, what I just kind of described a illness of the mind and body. Yeah. And I was told what the problem was and what the solution was. Um, and for me, that was a 12 step program, but it took me again, some more time before I became fully willing to put aside some old ideas. Like one of the steps in the program is, you know, admit that basically when it comes to alcohol and or drugs, I'm screwed. I'm going to, I can't control the amount that I drink or use and I can't stop on my own willpower. I'm going to die. I'm screwed. You know, that's kind of yeah. the, the way I like to summarize that. Step two, you know, do I believe a lot of people, you know, say, do I believe in God or some kind of a higher power? And, and that's true, but I like to ask people, you know, do you believe that something is working in my life that saved my life that keeps me sober and free today? And do you believe that that something, whatever it is, could even maybe work for you? It's like, it talks about in our recovery text. Um, do we believe, are we even willing to believe that there's something out there bigger than me? And once we can say yes, then let's move on, you know, with the rest, with the rest of that work, we don't have to have a fully formed idea of what that power is. Um, and I had, as I mentioned a little earlier, grown up with certain ideas about who God does and does not approve of or accept, um, which were keeping me from seeking that relationship, that connection with the power. Like I'm somebody, um, when I talk to people who are struggling with the faith concept in any way, um, I like to say, you know, I grew up being taught about God from certain perspectives. What I did not have was a connection with God experientially. So that's, um, that's what is I, I was able to find through the, through taking the rest of those steps. And most importantly, through um, passing on that experience and knowledge that I have and helping other people. Because like what I always say, and this is true, you know, with recovery, it's true um, in terms of self-acceptance. It's true um, in my mental health advocacy work. My freedom was never just about me. It's about the people who I am now able to reach. Yeah. I love that. I think it is not very often that <clears throat> people have that sort of lens of, it's not just about me. It's not just about my story. It's about all of us and how this, you know, maybe my experience or maybe your experience, but by talking about it, we elevate everybody around us. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, so I would love to hear, let's say we have someone listening who knows exactly what you're talking about of drinking was real fun for a couple of, I don't know, maybe a couple of experiences, maybe for years, it was really fun. And it is either starting to slide into more problems, or maybe there's someone listening where it is just utter chaos and they know it's a problem and they have no idea what to do about it. What would you say to them? I would say, um, I was just like you. That's what someone told me. Um, after my last relapse, I was like, I called up, a. The person who's now my mentor in recovery now. And I said, I just relapsed again. I cannot believe this happened. And he, he was like, Chelsea, I was just like you. Um, my mind convinced me that it was okay to go back to it. And I could control it this time. And uh, didn't, and it didn't work that way. And I said, yeah. Um, so I know it's like to not be able to look yourself in the mirror anymore, to recognize uh, maybe the person you've become. And I know what it's like to want to stop so badly. Like, I know what it's like to have gone beyond the point of, I think I can control this. Like by the time I was done, um, I was through trying to control the amount that I drank. My mind just, you know, I was ready to say, I want to stop. I don't want to do this anymore at all. It isn't fun. You know, I want to quit for good and for all. And that's, that's the point I was at. Um, so if you're in that position, uh, I know exactly what that's like. And I personally had to get to the point of realizing there was nothing I could do about that myself. And I had to, like I said a little bit earlier, put aside some old ideas and be willing to seek out the guidance of somebody else. Um, yeah. 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 I mean, that's, that's the truth, isn't it? I've had people come to me too and say, how did you make sobriety work for you? And every time my answer is, well, cause I'm not doing it. I surrendered to a higher power, whether I may call that God, you may call that love, whatever mm -hmm. it is. I, you, I had to surrender. I could not do it on my own anymore. And I think that, you know, if there is someone listening, maybe they're kind of rolling their eyes. Cause I know I, when I first started getting sober and I talked to a couple of sober people, I was like, this is not helpful. Like I need to be better, not give up more, but that really is, mm -hmm. is it. I've never heard anyone say, oh no, I did this all on my own. Every single person who I found who is quote, successful in recovery is because they have surrendered to something else. Yeah. And I think that's so, part of the beauty of it. 
Oh yeah. Like in quick summary, like if somebody's wondering, you know, what I personally did to recover and what I always love to emphasize, like kind of at the outset is recovery is, is possible. Like today, I don't wake up every day and think about drinking. I don't think about not drinking. The problem has been removed, but it took, I didn't just get that by osmosis. I had, um, I had to do some specific things. One realize, you know, I have a hopeless condition of mind and body. I have a mind that's determined to kill me by drinking, you know, um, I heard the story of someone who was dying just like I was, but is now sober and happy. What a thought, you know? And um, I said, man, I hope whatever's working for him even might work for me because I'm hopeless here. I heard from him, you know, the steps that he took to get well. So I made a decision, you know, step three. A lot of people say, you know, we've made a decision or we turned our will and life over to, over to God. Well, like what I kind of like to point out is um, if I knew how to do that in step three, it would be a three-step program, you know? And I could just say, okay, yeah. done. Um, I made a decision. Like what the third step is, is a decision to go through with the rest of the steps, you know, like my life depends on it. So I make that decision. Um, I say a prayer to commit to, that power, whatever that is, you know, for the individual, but Hey, I'm going to do this. Step four, I make an inventory, you know, of my resentments, my fears, and the people that I've harmed. I go over that, sit down with um, somebody, go over that, share everything, even the things that I, that I'm scared to death to share. I shared a little bit about that earlier. Like that was my coming out experience, right? Um, among a lot of other things that I that I got some clarity on about myself. You know, I learned a lot of truth about myself that I wasn't the person that I claimed to be or thought I was in terms of how I treated other people, how I moved through the world, what I relied on. I asked um, God or love, whatever you want to call it, to remove those things from me. I made amends, direct amends to the people that I had harmed, whether that be financial or direct face-to-face -face verbal amends. And I still, to this day, try to continue um, to make right the wrongs in very practical ways, however I can. I do a daily inventory as resentment, fear, selfish behavior and attitudes come up. I go through, you know, I ask God to remove those. I talk to somebody about those. If I do harm, I make amends quickly, you know? I spend time in meditation and prayer every day. And then most importantly, I, you know how the scripture says, you know, freely we receive now freely we give. That's what I, I do. Um, and I tell you what, nothing, the only thing better than getting free yourself is getting a front row seat to watch someone else do it. It is incredible. Yeah. And the people God has sent my way to work with in recovery um, all of the women that I currently work with and mentor have the exact same story as me. You know, they were raised in Christian homes, had certain concepts 
beat into them basically about who God was, who they were, that cut them off, made them feel like they couldn't approach God, you know? Um, and therefore getting sober was kind of difficult, <laughs> but, um, yeah. I've been able to share with them, you know, not only my story, but specifically what I did to get well. And I've been able to walk them down that same path. And now they're doing kind of the same thing. And it's just incredible. Yeah. I mean, it's a miracle every single time it, I mean, it, it never, it never gets old. Um, okay. So we, to trace back where we've been. So you had your first drink in high school, went into the military, came out of the military, got sober, came out. So we talked a little bit about your coming out story and you mentioned that you said, I'm never going to be okay with it. And now mm-hmm. here you are five-ish years later, um, yeah. literally advocating for acceptance and a, um, affirmation of the LGBTQ community. What happened? Um, God happened. That's always my short yeah. answer. Like God, um, and I know uh, some of my friends will always say, Chelsea, you know, you give God all the credit. Like, why don't you acknowledge the work you've done? I'm like, yeah, I know. But I feel like it was a partnership be- between me and God. So, um, yeah, I actually have a blog post on my website, which is chelseainanderson.com. Um, I have a post called bisexual and Christian, which kind of details some of my process in this, but, um, it first started out for me with doing a ton of reading and research about theology. And, uh, like, I'm not somebody who can just easily say, well, I changed my mind, you know, now I think being gay is okay. (laughs) And let's just move on. I'm just not that way, you know? So I, I really about a year I guess dug into all kinds of like every book I could get my hand on um different theologians I listened to what they had to say with an open mind for once not and not prejudging what they had to say and I came to the affirming conclusion basically um And then I was also able to kind of take a step back from even the theology and say, okay, what is the fruit of non-affirming theology? Like Jesus said, you know, you know, you're going to know a tree by its fruit. So what is this theology producing in people's lives? You know, um, sure. Some people will say they'll either identify as ex-gay or they'll identify Um, as maybe like in a mixed orientation relationship situation and they say that they're happy and I'm like I'm truly happy for you if that's the case but like for the majority of us um, that's not the case whenever we try to be somebody who other than who God created us to be 
it, um, when we look at the whole picture, the whole tree, so to speak, we see things like depression, um, broken family relationships, people feeling like they can't be a part of the church, um, mental health issues, the suicide rate is very high, unfortunately, um, in the LGBTQ community. And so generally speaking, that is the fruit of a non-affirming theology. So, you know, I was just able to say, none of this sounds like the fruit of the spirit to me. And therefore I don't believe anymore that it's of God. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I love it when people bring up that passage in Matthew seven, where it's the, mm -hmm. the good fruit or the bad fruit. And um, I just think that that's such a good funnel to run things through. I mean, when we get confused, if we could just go back to, to that and think, is this good fruit or bad fruit? I think that we would have a lot more compassion and be more aligned with God and yeah. God's heart for, for all of humanity. Um, okay. So I was on your blog and are you okay? If I read just a little bit, I will not read the whole thing because uh, first of all, we don't have time. Second of all, if you're listening and you want to hear more, go to Chelsea in Anderson.com. Is that okay? Yeah, sure. Go ahead. Okay. So um, on your blog, you have um you have the post called Journey to Affirmation. And I love this one part. Um okay. So you are talking about Matthew 7. So every good tree bears good fruit but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. And then you start talking about how bad unaffirming theology can be. I mean, the results of that are devastating. And then you say, conversely, the good fruit I observed in the lives of the LGBTQ Ooh, LGBTQ Christians was undeniable. Here were people living joyful, productive lives. Many of them had gone from barely surviving due to shame and self-hatred to wanting to live. Many had remained involved in the church despite constant pushback and rejection. They were doing life-changing, often life-saving ministry. So many queer people have impacted my life with their genuine love for God, compassion and desire to serve and love others well. I just love that. Like I was reading through your blog earlier today and it was like that one paragraph. I just kept thinking like, yeah, this is what people who are unaffirming or who are not sure this is what they're missing is actually being in relationship with people and I even have friends who saw me when I was denying who God made me to be and now see me today married for however many years I've been married because I can never remember my anniversary and my wife gets really happy about that. Um, <laughs> and the, the difference is remarkable. And 
that's not just my story. It's millions of people's story of finally saying, you know what, I just have to be who God made me to be, or I am going to die. Right. And I just think you put it, yeah, you just put it so beautifully in that piece. Thank you. I haven't read that one in a while, so. Yeah. Yeah, it's beautiful. Okay. So as we wrap up here, would you like to tell everybody new projects you're working on, where we can find you, um, anything you want everybody to know? Sure. Um, So I do have a website, which we mentioned a little bit ago, Chelsea in the the, uh, letter in Anderson.com. That's where you can find my blog um, and information about my new podcast that I'm launching in March called the recovered. It's called the recovered life podcast. And where we'll be focusing on mental health recovery and authentic living. So I'm going to be sharing stories from people, um, in the mental health space, people who have overcome and are overcoming mental health issues, um, some professionals in the treatment field, um, people in all different forms of recovery from alcoholism, addiction, eating disorders, all kinds of things. And then authentic living, um, hearing from people. I especially want to center people who have historically been marginalized, you know, LGBTQ people, people of color, women, disabled people, um, I'm basically giving all of us a platform to help reach those people out there who are still suffering and struggling and believe that they're alone. Um, So that is what is on the horizon. I am starting to blog and write again as well. So you can find all that on my website and um, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at just be Chelsea. So that's just be Chelsea on Twitter and Instagram and feel free to reach out there anytime. Um, and what I always like to say is, you know, if you're somebody who's struggling with depression, anxiety, addiction, um, anything like that, feel free to reach out to me and I'll do whatever I can to help you and or point you in the direction of somebody who can. Um, and I always also like to mention you know, if you're a queer person, someone um, like the many I know that are veterans who are struggling with all forms of mental health issues, if you're a family member of someone who's struggling, um, just know that you're not alone. And there's a whole bunch of us out here fighting for you and with you. Um, And feel free to reach out to me anytime. And I love you. Yeah. Yeah. And I can vouch for that too, because Chelsea was someone that I called in my first days of sobriety too. So, all right. Um, thank you so much for being here. Um, I am so thankful for your story and for sharing it so authentically. Um, I know it's hard to talk about hard things, I mean, a lot of people just don't want to do it, but the stories are so important and I am really thankful for you and for your work and your story. Thank you so much. Um, it does get easier. Um, it's still 
hard sometimes, but seeing other people's freedom on the other side of it is, is what makes it worth it. And, um, yeah, it just makes, it feels like it makes my family grow larger and larger. And by that, mm -hmm. I mean, chosen family and, uh, yeah. it's just a joy. So thank you so much for having much for joining me today on this episode of the making room on the pew podcast as always you can find me on social media at bailey joe welch and online at my website bailey joe welch and yes i will link that in the show notes because i know pomerantz can get a little tricky to spell if you enjoyed this episode don't forget to subscribe so you are notified every time a new episode comes out and if you wouldn't mind taking just a few seconds to rate and review on iTunes, it would really mean a lot to me. Doing those few easy things allows us to get the podcast in front of more people so we can all continue to make room on the pew. Until next time, this has been Making Room on the Pew.